be with you this morning. I myself have been on study leave for my teaching duties at Westminster, and, and so we haven't been here as uh, consistently as we normally have been. Uh, but it's good to be with you this morning and, and be able to bring God's Word to you. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can open up there. Uh, you'll find the text printed in your bulletin as well, though I will be referring to uh, portions of the passages around the short section of verses we're going to be reading. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. And if you do happen to have a Bible open, you'll see that these are two short parables that are contained in, in these verses that are part of a series of parables. If you look at verse 33, a verse that we will be reading, it says that Jesus spoke many such parables. And so the parables we have here, including these two very brief parables that we'll consider this morning, are really a sampling intended by God to be in His Word for a generation since, but a sampling of many other parables, similar parables that Jesus told. And the two particular parables that we're going to be looking at this morning, these brief parables, provide a vision for God's kingdom and how it works in this world. Jack has said already, and we've heard in our worship, which has well prepared us to hear from God's word, uh, this uh, theme, you might call it, of, of God's kingdom prominent through scripture, prominent through the gospels. And the kingdom, of course, the kingdom of God, sounds like a mighty thing. Yet here, as we'll see, Jesus uses very small things, seeds, with which to compare God's kingdom. So let me read for us these verses from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in his sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these parables, and what's more, we thank you for the wider explanation you have provided in your word that we might have understanding of these things. And so we pray that by your spirit, we might take these things to heart that we might know the significance of your teaching uh, about God's kingdom in relation to these parables. Uh, that we might have 
great hope and expectation for the wondrous and mighty things you have promised to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure um, everyone here has purchased something off of Amazon before. Maybe, maybe you've used some other website if you've ever shopped online. But with Amazon, I'm pretty sure this works with other uh, websites as well. If you do a search for whatever it is you're searching for, um, often it will also not only show you the thing that you've searched for, but it will show you other things that you might be interested in because of this particular thing that you've searched for. It will say, well, since you have searched for this, since you are interested in this particular thing, you might also be interested in this other particular thing. People who search for these things have also searched for these other things, different items that have some likeness. There's some relationship between them. If you're interested in the one, you might want to look at the other. And according to Jesus, if you're looking for God's kingdom, you might also want to take a look at seeds. You might also want to take a look at seeds. Now, God's kingdom, I'll, I'll say something about this later, um, should not be confused with a geographical realm at a particular place at a particular time so much as God's universal reign of righteousness. And we'll say more about that later. But there's a relationship, Jesus is saying, between God's kingdom and seeds. Seeds frequently come up as a point of comparison. Again, if you have a Bible open, you can look at the very beginning of Mark chapter 4. And here you have the first parable that Jesus tells in Mark and is known as the parable of the sower. And there too you have a description of seed being scattered upon the ground and falling onto different types of ground and the responses to the seeds to the ground in which it is sown. Think of uh, Matthew's gospel where you have the parable of the wheat and the tares. Um, here you have the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. God's kingdom bears a similarity with seeds. With many such parables, he told them. What God selects out of his entire creation to compare with his kingdom, with regularity are seeds. With many such parables, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And one simple way to capture the significance of what Jesus is saying in this point of comparison between seeds and the kingdom is like this. Seeds are not impressive by their appearance, but always produce surprising results and in surprising ways. And if you fail to see the relationship between God's kingdom and seeds, we'll probably, probably be looking for his kingdom to exhibit itself in some other way which may cause you to miss it altogether. You see, do you understand the point of comparison? As you look for one, do you know that this is a point of comparison that we're to look to to understand how we might find this kingdom of which Jesus speaks? 
So as we consider this parable and this point of comparison, I want us first to see how the parables challenge the way we expect God's kingdom to enter into the world. Now this might especially be true in some ways for Jesus' original audience who were expecting big things when the Messiah would come. In the opening uh, chapter of, of Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 15, you find this verse on the front of your bulletin. These are the first words that Mark records out of Jesus' mouth that sets the tone for everything else Jesus will say in Mark's gospel. And he says this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is a big statement. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says. But here we learn that the kingdom doesn't enter the world as something big, but like a seed, something that is small. Let's think about this first parable of the two short parables that we read, the scattered seed. Uh, the kingdom of God is as, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And then notice that Jesus indicates a particular order in which this seed grows, stages of growth that every seed follows. The harvest doesn't come first, but at the very end. Before the harvest, if you look at verse 29, the grain must ripen. But before the grain can ripen, verse 28, it must fully grow. But before the grain comes the ear. And before the ear comes the blade, all out of the ground within which that seed was planted. That is always the order. It will never happen in any other way. And Jesus is teaching with this comparison that there is an order to how God's kingdom enters the world and extends within the world. And it begins, of course, with Jesus himself. See, when Jesus says the time is fulfilled or the time is at hand, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand, the time has come because Jesus himself has come. And you see Jesus describing an order in various places. One place where you see him describing an order is in Luke chapter 24. As he explains to his disciples what it is that has happened to him. And he tells his disciples this, that the Christ should first suffer and then on the third day be raised and then that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's the order. First the seed, then the blade, then the ear, then the grain. First Jesus' incarnation, then his ministry, then his suffering, his death, his burial, and only then his resurrection and the proclamation of the gospel of his kingdom throughout the world. This is how God's kingdom Comes. It doesn't happen in any other way. 
know, in every pack of seeds, if you've ever bought a pack of seeds, there's information on the back that tells you what to do with it. it tells you uh, how deeply to plant that seed in the ground. It tells you how much to water it. It tells you how much sunlight is needed. And it also tells you the number of days before you'll see it sprout and begin to grow and also the number of days before the carrot, squash, lettuce, whatever it is, uh, comes to full growth where you can harvest it. And the question is, as you look at that back of the back of the pack of seeds, is, well, how do they know this about these seeds? Well, that those who are packing, packaging the seeds didn't make these seeds to work in that way. Um, they didn't look at the seed itself, just like you can't look at the seed itself and tell from observation of the seed that, oh, this, this seed takes this long to grow in, in these particular ways. No, it's because they've seen that seed develop and grow in that time frame again and again and again. They know it by observation. Here we're told in verse 27, the farmer knows not how, but the farmer sees it happen. And this means we ourselves ought to be careful observers of how God's kingdom works that we might understand its growth. A good place to begin is with the book of Acts. We won't spend time there. But as it records the growth and extension of the church throughout the world. Now, I should say that we can't conflate the kingdom of God with the church. The kingdom of God is something larger and all-encompassing beyond the church itself. But we can say that the church is the most visible expression of God's kingdom in this world within the present age. Matthew 16, think of Jesus' promise, where he says, I will build my church... But then he begins to use this kingdom kind of language. As he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as he says, he will give his disciples the keys to the kingdom. And so there's a close relationship between the church and the kingdom. The extension and growth of the church witnesses to the reign of Christ Jesus in the world. And so how does that growth happen? Well, once again, it did not happen the way many people expected. The kingdom they were looking for in Jesus' day would bring clear, obvious, indubitable results. Peace, restoration, the end of wickedness and sin, God's righteous rule to make all things right. A revolution, you might say, that would sweep the world that no one could miss, led by the Messiah whom he would send. Uh, but God sends a Messiah, a Savior, first to suffer, then to be buried in the ground like a seed, and only then raised up for our salvation. But Paul uses similar language in his epistle to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he calls Jesus in his resurrection as the first fruits 
the first to be raised. And he describes the body as a seed. He says, what is sown is perishable, but is what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in weakness is raised, he says, in glory. Though like the farmer, we know not how. Again, returning to a package of seeds you might buy in a store, the description on the back um, you would never think, as you read how long it's going to take and what's required, you'd never think, oh, I bet I can do this in half the time. Right? No. no. <laughs> uh, there's nothing you can do to make that seed work any differently. Like it or not, that is the way the seed grows. And like it or not, this is the way God's kingdom works in the world. And nothing you or I will do will make it happen differently. Now, one thing this teaches us, though, is God's great patience. God loves seeds. God created every seed to function and work exactly in the way that seed works. And God selects seeds out of his creation to use as this point of comparison for his kingdom. He's completely okay with his kingdom entering the world in the way that it has entered the world because it's all a part of his plan. He sees no need to produce immediate results to quickly bring the entire process to a conclusion. In Galatians 4, uh, verse 4, Paul says that it was in the fullness of time that God sent forth his son. It was when God was ready. God waits thousands of years before he sends his Messiah. And he has waited thousands of years more watching his kingdom grow throughout the world to his delight. First the blade, then the ear, all anticipating the great day of harvest that is yet to come. Why so long? Because God's aim is not immediately to impose his righteous rule throughout the world, but to save unrighteous people like you and me as his harvest throughout the world and throughout time. And it all begins with this seed that is sown with Jesus himself, buried in the ground and raised by God's power that his name might be proclaimed throughout the world as the first fruit of God's kingdom. But something else this parable does. First, it challenges our expectations for how God's kingdom enters into the world. And then, secondly, the parable also challenges the way we expect his kingdom to grow among us. Uh, many biblical scholars believe that Mark's gospel was initially written to the church in Rome. You can imagine that the church in Rome, uh, the gospel is proclaimed there and, and people receive the message of God's grace in Christ Jesus with, with joy. They begin to be gathered together into a church, but after some time, they also begin to experience persecution. 
uh, they begin to be marginalized. It all seems so slow and so painful and so small, like with these seeds that Jesus describes. You know, now the church has, has grown in ways that that church could have never imagined. Extending to places throughout the world that they did not even know existed. But nonetheless, we can still feel this way about the growth of God's kingdom through the ministry of the church. So slow, uh, so small, so seemingly insignificant. And Jesus is saying, with this point of comparison with seeds, yes, so small, um, yes, slow, but also surprising in the results that will be produced. And that's what we see as we focus on this second parable, the parable of the mustard seed. In verse 31, Jesus describes a mustard seed as but a grain, the smallest of the seeds of the earth. A mustard seed, if you don't know, is only one to two millimeters in length. And yet it grows to be the largest of all the plants in the garden. A mustard a plant can grow 10 to 12 feet from that one to two milliliter, millimeter seed that is planted in the ground. And one of the things that we should clearly pick up from this is that the size of the seed does not determine the size of the plant. The kind of seed is what determines the size of the plant. Small mustard seeds produce large mustard plants. And Jesus is saying the seed of the gospel of God's kingdom will grow large because that is what gospel seed does. Though, like the farmer, we know not how. Now, if we fail to take this to heart, one danger is that we can become very disappointed with how God's kingdom works and grows, or we think is failing to grow among us. Again, the kingdom of God is not identical with the church, but the church is the most visible expression of God's kingdom, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ in this present age. And so you might think of our church as one tiny shoot off of this much larger plant, the universal church that is extending itself throughout the world. And so if this is how growth happens in God's kingdom, how is that growth then reflected in the church? What might we expect? In the first parable, imagine the farmer going out day to day, always disappointed because expectations are not being met. Things are not germinating as quickly as he thought. Growth is not happening. There's no sign of fruit even beginning to show. And he's always frustrated. Why isn't this growing faster? Imagine if we did that with our children. You look at your uh, child and you say, why are you acting like a two-year-old? Well, what if your child indeed is two years old, right? The problem then is not with the child. The problem is with you and your expectation of that child. When it's the blade, it's the blade. 
Uh, when it's the year, it's the year. Only when it's time, the time of harvest, will it be the harvest. And the point it's presently at should be the focus of our attention and the care that we provide. And God gives us what is needed for that as well, through the gifts that he gives to the church through the ascended king. Once again, thinking of what the Apostle Paul says elsewhere. In Ephesians chapter 4, we've been reading through Ephesians. If you remember uh, in, in recent weeks, as it describes with kingly language, the Lord Jesus ascended up on high and he gave gifts to men, which is what kings do, victorious kings do. And he gives prophets and apostles and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. And then do you remember the language that Paul uses? He uses growth language so that the church grows up into Christ, into the head. When each part is working properly, Paul says, he says the body grows up in love. And so Jesus, as the king, has given his church gifts that we are to use. And as those gifts are used in the life of the church, he provides for its growth. Those gifts are used to care for the growth that God himself gives. And that includes each of us. We can ask ourselves, what's our attitude toward growth? Uh, we can be critical of growth. We can be critical of growth in, in different ways. Uh, we can be critical of growth that seems too small. Again, there's disappointment. We all thought it would be bigger than it seems to be. But there can also be frustration at times with growth that we fear is too big and too quick. Uh, we feel like we don't know people like we once knew people or we don't know what's happening like we used to know what's happening. Uh, we don't like the thought of this fully grown uh, mustard plant in which all these different birds are coming to find rest in the branches. Uh, there's a similar image in Ezekiel chapter 17 uh, that describes God taking a sprig of a cedar tree and he plants it on a high and lofty mountain it describes the growth of that cedar tree and its branches extending outward. And it says this, it says, Under it will dwell every kind of bird in its shade, in the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will rest. The wide reach of God's kingdom that we should long for, witnessed to by the global church as it grows throughout the world. Again, the focus of our attention is on, the, is on participating in the care for the growth that God has given as he causes his kingdom to grow as evident within the life of the church. The church, as it grows, as it extends, attracts as a place of shelter and shade within the world because the reign of God's grace in Christ Jesus the Lord. So what's our attitude towards growth? Are we critical? Or will we care for the growth that God gives in his time with the gifts that he has provided, longing for the fullness of the harvest, the church that as it grows attracts as a place of shelter 
and shade within the world. This brings us to a final point. We talked about how this parable portrays the entrance of God's kingdom into the world through Christ Jesus. Uh, how God's kingdom grows in its relationship to the church. Uh, but these two parables also should shape the way we expect uh, the gospel of God's kingdom to grow in our own lives. Again, remember the first words out of Jesus' mouth as recorded in Mark's gospel, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. God's reign of grace in Christ Jesus, the good news of the gospel, calls for this response of repentance and faith. And this growth of God's kingdom that we've described within the world then becomes reflected in our own lives through an increasing life of faith and repentance. The Christian grows as the reign of God's grace in Jesus Christ is believed and recognized more and more in a life of repentance. But that growth is never immediate. There's always the order that we've already described. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, all before the harvest comes. Not all at once, but one after the other. I think about every kid, I want to ask for a show of hands, but I think about every kid, some point in elementary school, grows grass seed in a styrofoam cup. Probably many of us remember doing that. Your early science exper experiments in school. I remember our uh, children doing this. Uh, you plant the grass seed, you cover it with a little dirt, and you water it, and you put it in the windowsill. And I remember one of our daughters, every morning she had done this, and, and she would come out, and it was in a window windowsill above the kitchen sink, and she couldn't see for herself, and so she would want me to pick her up every morning to see. Uh, but that didn't last but for a few days because she wasn't seeing anything but dirt in a cup, right? Every, every morning it looked the same and her patience grew thin. She lost in interest. And of course, maybe you remember this ex experiment, especially if you're younger, there's always something you want to do to help it make, make it happen quicker. And maybe if I add a little more water, or maybe I need to dig around in the styrofoam cup. Maybe the sprout is down there and it needs my help uh, to escape and, and get into the light. But the thought is there's something I must do, something more I must do if this is going to grow. That's always the temptation. We don't want to wait. Uh, we think we might be the key element in the whole process. And we might think that same way about the growth of the gospel in our own lives. That what I do is what will make the difference. Another passage where Jesus uses similar imagery is in John uh, chapter 15, not seeds, but he talks about a vine and its branches, if you remember. 
Uh, and Jesus says, like the uh, branches must abide in the vine if, or, if they're to bear fruit, so also you must abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Now, you might think that will make us complacent. Are we just supposed to watch and wait like this farmer? Or aren't there things that we're supposed to do as Christians? Aren't we to read Scripture? Uh, aren't we to pray? Aren't we to fellowship with other believers within the life of the church? Other things to do? Well, of course, but let me ask, why are you doing those things? Or what, might, what do you expect from those things? If you think you can cause the growth by virtue of doing those things, maybe reading scripture, praying, so on and so forth, what will happen when you don't see the growth that you expected? That's when we become complacent. Uh, we give up because we think what I'm doing is not working. But if you believe the growth is from God, and you are certain that gospel seed surely grows in his own time, then you will continue to do those things as you watch and wait for the growth that he has promised. You'll continue to do those things along with extending forgiveness. Speaking the truth in love, giving and receiving encouragement and exhortation because you believe that in the midst of those things, God brings unexpected and surprising results. Do not despise what God himself is doing now in you or in others. God makes his kingdom grow and God has you where you are right now. It starts with the seed, and then the blade, and then the ear, and only later the grain. And for those who abide in Christ, the gospel of his kingdom will continue to grow until it's the primary feature in each of our lives. Just like the mustard seed, the smallest of seed, but a grain, yet when it grows larger than all the plants of the garden, it grows up and becomes larger, Jesus says in verse 32, putting out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And this is what we should long for, that the most attractive thing growing in our lives, the most noticeable more and more feature in our lives is the gospel of God's kingdom, his peace, his grace, his righteousness that begins to shade all else. I'm sure Pastor Eric could develop this illustration much better than I since he is a gardener and I am not. But I do know in, in previous attempts that when you plant plants, you have to know what grows largest. Because you need to appropriately space everything else in relation to that largest plant which anchors the whole. And there's a sense in which that, that is true for what we're describing here as well. Gospel seed grows large 
And more and more, it must anchor everything else in your life. Where you begin to see everything else in your life is oriented to this which is largest. Be your work, your play, your friendships, your marriages, your dreams, your ambitions, all with God's kingdom as the focal point. What is true for God's kingdom in the world as it grows, God intends to be true for us as we repent and believe the gospel. Uh, we've already heard uh, reference the passage uh, where scripture says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And on that day, as you hear in Revelation chapter 11, you will hear loud voices from heaven, yours to join them, saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we long for that day. And we long for the gospel of your grace to grow ever more in our own lives. To be more and more evident in our life together as your church. We pray that you would continue as you do and as you have promised to extend your kingdom throughout the world as your church extends. And we're amazed at where you have planted your church and the environment in which it would seem never to thrive. Yet because you are the gardener, you grant it life that you might receive all praise and glory. And would you fill our hearts with that same praise we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.